Hello, my name is Father Mike Moore. Welcome to this Lenten retreat based on the book The Four Teresas by Gina Lair and the great commandment to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In this episode, we'll take a look at St. Teresa of Calcutta and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. So we come to the last talk. So we have charted our way through the great commandment. It's the last verse. You know, when Jesus uh, answered that question, which is the greatest commandment, he did something that was very common back then. They often coupled different verses in the Bible to make a point. So Jesus is actually taking a line from Deuteronomy, the Shema, the, the great commandment, love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind, and he's coupling it with love your neighbor as yourself, which is actually a line from Leviticus. It appears that Jesus was unique in making that particular combination. So we're going to take a look at that right now. And as we do, and as Gina Lair does in the book, she felt, obviously, that Mother Teresa's great charism was exactly this last part of the Great Commandment, loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, when I read the book when I was on retreat, this was the most challenging chapter of all of them. I'm not sure if you're going to find it the same way, but I have a feeling you will. St. Teresa of Calcutta. She was uh, Albanian by ancestry. She was born in Macedonia. And from a little girl, she had dreams about being a missionary or was attracted to that idea. And so eventually she did become a missionary. She went to the the Sisters of Loretta in India, and she taught at a school for girls who were pretty well-to-do. And then the, the day happened. Her call came at one moment, like St. Paul. It was on a train, September the 10th, 1946. That was her inspiration day. And she has this idea to go to Calcutta and work with the poorest of the poor. And this may apply to many of us. Sometimes when you get an idea like this, your first reaction is, oh no, I don't think I want to do that. So listen to what she says. She wrote a letter to the archbishop asking for permission to leave the order that she was in to go out on this mission like this. So she tells the archbishop in the letter, 
At one word that your grace would say, I am ready never to consider again any of these strange thoughts which have been coming continually. <laughs> She's really saying, just let me off the hook. <laughs> if you say it, I'll never think about it again. So that, that's very human, isn't it? Isn't that very natural? Don't we have the same thing that happens when you get asked something strange and out of the way and something you think you can't do? I don't know that she had all those qualities, but she had some natural reserve about it. There was a discernment process on this. And when she went there, she hadn't a clue what she was going to do. And she started teaching what she knew how to do. I heard about the beginning where she would, she would teach on the ground. She would, they would use the dirt as a blackboard and she would teach the kids, whoever came. She says the first person she, was, she cared for, she says this about that one, that first person. I could not have been a missionary of charity if I had passed by when I saw and smelt that woman who was eaten up by rats, her face, her legs. But I returned, picked her up, and took her to a hospital. This would eventually lead to the home for the dying. But you know, the Lord led her like step by step. I think that's the way it goes for most calls, especially you know, these calls within the call. Because she already had her call. She was a religious sister. You already, many of you have calls already. You know, you're married. Or some other thing that you really give your passion towards. There's these calls though that come within the call. We're not all done. Oh, I'm married. I'm all set. No, God's going to have special things to you, for you to do in the side of that. So what was she like? I know you know a lot of stories about Mother Teresa because there's so many out there. But I'm going to hopefully pick a couple that... Maybe you haven't heard because they came to me from sources who were right there when it happened. The first one comes from Bishop Robert Lynch, who's a good friend of Monsignor Pollard and was my bishop for over 20 years. And um, he worked in Washington. And this story goes back to the beginning of the AIDS crisis. And if you recall that time, I mean, some of you might are too young for that time, but if you, we were there at that time, you remember how afraid everybody was. People were so scared because we did not know at the beginning, how is this transmitted? No one wanted anybody who was working with AIDS or some kind of a house for AIDS in their neighborhood. And that's what happened in Washington, D.C. because Mother Teresa went right in when the crisis became known. She wanted to open up a home for those who were afflicted with AIDS. And the, and the community didn't want it because they were afraid. So Bishop Lynch told us that the mayor convened a hearing because there were some complaints about how Mother Teresa was doing this. And they thought, really, I think they thought, we can catch her on a technicality. <coughs> so there she is. She comes into this room. There's a whole panel of people who are going to make the decision, going to ask questions. And there's people there, there's reporters there, because she's already be started to become famous in the world. And in comes Mother Teresa now, she's very short. And she always had the rosary 
in her hands. And she was fingering the beads, and you could see her lips were moving. She's saying Hail Marys as she's walking in to this den of lions. <laughs> and she's walking in, and she comes in, and they start the hearing. And the first question that was asked, I think, was at, I think he said it was asked by the mayor. Is it true that you don't have an ice machine in your home for the AIDS patients? And she finished the Hail Mary that she was saying. And then she said this. Yes. We don't have an ice machine. But we are giving the people who come to us something that no ice machine could ever give them. We're giving them the love of Jesus. Well, there was a long pause. And the mayor looked down one side of the table, and then the other side, and he said, are there any other questions? <laughs> the hearing was pretty much over there. That's Mother Teresa. I mean, she was, um, she was tough for what she believed in and for who she was caring for and was bold and courageous in what she said. So I want to share with you, they come out of Gina's book. There's more there, but I'm only going to choose a few. I want to choose four characteristics of her spirituality. You say, what, what leads a person to be able to live that part of the commandment with such clarity and such profound effect? Well, number one for her is the centrality of Christ in her life. There are several recurring themes in her life, the call to holiness, the power of prayer, quenching the thirst of Christ and the distressing disguise of the poor. Holiness is not a luxury, but a simple duty for you and me. She says, my secret is very simple. I pray. We need prayer, she says, just like we need air. Without prayer, we can do nothing. Often a deep and fervent look at Christ is the best prayer. I look at him and he looks at me. The second quality that I want to mention is the importance of the Eucharist. She said this, our life is linked to the Eucharist. Without each day with Jesus in communion, we could do nothing. I've heard stories that when they had a really difficult day coming up, might say a very busy day, they would take two hours before the Blessed Sacrament. Most of us would go the other direction. I'm too busy, let me take 15 minutes. She doubled the time before the Blessed Sacrament, and I'm sure things went with grace in a greater way because of that commitment. Another thing that she says, love at home. You don't need to go far to far-off places to put love into action. Whenever she'd go to visit her sisters in the convents where they lived, a recurring theme for her, what she would tell them are four words. Keep working on love. What a great motto for all of us. What am I supposed to do today? Keep working on love. And the fourth one is carrying the cross. Mother Teresa, you know, we found out after her death 
that it wasn't like, oh, she was getting so much out of this, you know, of the being with the people, and it was just filling her with joy and filling her with satisfaction and filling her with feeling of being blessed. The opposite was true. It was a dark night. I remember meeting Bishop William Curlin from the Diocese of Charlotte, North Carolina. He was a very kind man, and he told me he had a long-time friendship with Mother Teresa. One time she asked him, what do I do with this emptiness? What do I do with it? And the bishop told her, offer it to Jesus. Take even the emptiness and offer it to Jesus. And she got a smile on her face. Yes, I can offer it to him. That's what I'll do. I'll offer it to him. Now, according to Father Benedict Rochelle, who also knew her well, he said, I had 72 arguments with Mother Teresa. I lost every one of them. (laughs) He told me, though, that at the end of her life, the darkness lifted somewhat. And he saw that. He... In fact, he saw her and saw her bubbly and said, is this the same Mother Teresa that I know? Because she was now getting filled. It was the, the, that part of the spiritual journey was coming to an end. But this is the thing. I was like Therese when she was sick. She never stopped loving and seeing, looking for Jesus in the people that she was serving. Here's another. This is a, <laughs> this is a Father Benedict Rochelle story, too. They're walking in, I think it's the Bronx. She, he's walking with her. There's just the two of them. And there's a building there. I forget what he told us the name of the building was. It has no doors or windows. The whole block is just like a wall. And they're walking down there talking. And then at one moment, he turns, and she's not there anymore. He said, I lost Mother Teresa <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> and then he looks back, and there she is, kneeling down, by the curbside for a guy who was laying there. And he told us, I didn't even see that guy when we walked by, but she did. And she went right away to help him. I want to close with this story. For me, this is a kind of a guiding principle story. I call it the mirror and the icon. It was related to us by Father John Fullenbach, who I mentioned to you the other day, too. The priest from Germany who taught in Rome and came over and was lived such a simple life. Well, Father John had this personality trait. When he was reading the scriptures, if he came across something that he didn't understand, he would say to himself, what does that mean? What does that look like? So he was reading about compassion What does it mean to be compassionate? And he had heard about Mother Teresa, Now, this is before she was famous, but he knew about her. So he called her up and said, can I come and spend like three weeks with you and the sisters? I just want to be there, work alongside with you. And she said, "Uh, well, that's great. You can give us conferences. No, 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 I don't want to do that. No, no, this will be great. You can give us a conference. Well, of course, she went out on that one. (laughs) And and then they went down there. So what they would do, every day they'd go out, and they'd look for people who needed to come into the house to help die with dignity. And they usually would go to the dump, the garbage heap, because that's where the people would be, going through the garbage, looking for some food. 
or something to wear. So they go out there, and he remembered when he went out there, there was a guy laying right at the base of the dump. He, he, he remembered that guy, but they couldn't take him, actually, because there were other people who were sicker. They went out the next day. Guy's in exactly the same spot. He said, okay, we're going to take him. So what they would do is they would lift him onto a gurney, and then they would carry them over to the house for the dying. So Father John said, I'll do it. He wanted to be compassionate. This is his chance. He's been watching them. So he supports the guy under his shoulders, and somebody's going to take his legs. And as he starts to lift him, the guy opens his eyes and spits right into Father John's face. Now he told us, I could not control my emotions. I was filled with rage. Because inside I'm thinking, what is the matter with you? Well, I came thousands of miles to come help you. How can you spit in my face? He was not feeling compassionate. <laughs> he was feeling angry. He was feeling guilty about the anger. And he was confused. So they put him on the gurney, they start to go, and the sisters evidently can read his face, because when they get to the house, they said to him, Father, we'll take her from here. Now, he's German, now I'm mostly German too. I know what he's thinking when he says this. He, <laughs> he said, I said I was gonna be compassionate, I'm gonna be compassionate. <laughs> so, um, yeah, stubborn, so he, but he wasn't really feeling compassionate. So he goes in, he cleans the guy up, he, you know, and he washes him, and he's still feeling awful, conflicted about this whole thing. So he said, you just can't stand around when you're with Mother Teresa, you have to do something. So there was a table in the middle of the room where they had lots of clothes, and they would rip them or cut them into strips, and then they would roll them, and that would become the bandages. So he's at the bandage table, he's working on this thinking about all of this. And there's a young nun right over here, kind of like where you are, Michael. And she's trying to give a, a bath to this little boy, little boy. And he, she's not having a good time with it. He's throwing the water, he's slapping her. And he's, as he's rolling the bandage, he's looking at her and saying, you know, this compassion stuff is not that easy. And then Mother Teresa comes in. And she starts to visit around the place. It had a, evidently a low ceiling. It was kind of dark in there. And she was going around and she finally comes to this young nun and the boy and he's still pitching a fit. So she tells the young nun to go somewhere else and she'll take over. So now Father John told us, and these are his words, he's rolling the bandage and he says, let's see what the big shot does. <laughs> So she picks up the sponge, and he slaps her. He throws the water on her. He doesn't know she's Mother Teresa. And then he said, she stopped, she stepped back, kind of wiped off her, her habit. And then she stepped up to him and she hugged him, like all the way. And she started rocking back and forth. He said it went a long time. And then she released him, and he was perfectly docile. Father John told us that day, 
I knew I was in the presence of a saint. See, that's the way God loves us. With all the stuff that we do, it's unconditional. And that's the way we're called to love each other. So why do I call this a mirror and an icon? Well, it's a mirror, this story, because a lot of times what happened at the beginning, at the dump, when, he, when that guy spit in his face, that's me. You know, when you, when you help someone and they're so grateful, doesn't it feel great? You feel so good that you're working for God. But when people act like they don't want the help or they twist it around or they hurt you back, it's like a spit in the face. That's the mirror. The icon, you know, in Eastern uh, Christian spirituality, an icon is their belief is that this is a this is a picture into the into heaven, into the kingdom. So this story is also an icon for me because it's a picture into the way Jesus is calling us to be, and that's what I want to keep aiming for: a mirror and an icon. Love God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Here's a point of consideration from Gina's book. Devotion to the Eucharist enabled Mother Teresa to do what she did. Many people of goodwill hold her up as a model. But we can't begin to imitate her without fostering a love for Jesus present in the Blessed Sacrament. So two questions. In what specific ways does the Eucharist impact my daily life to live the great commandment? And the second one, as this retreat comes to a close, make a recommitment to the Lord in your own words. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of these four remarkable saints these four Teresas, and their clear example on how to live the great commandment. May the words of your commandment be our daily prayer. Lord, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. And please help me to love my neighbor as myself. As we continue our walk towards the celebration of Easter, draw us closer to you every day. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you found this retreat helpful, please share it with someone you know. God bless you. If you've enjoyed this Lenten season's Seeds of Hope series and would like to hear more podcasts from Monsignor Mike Moore, just search Seeds of Hope with Father Mike wherever podcasts are available.